So the assignment. Before we get started. Yes. Uh huh. Um, to calm you a little bit from us being at 7:25. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, the last time you preached, what I wrote in my notes was that uh, the relationship with God is more important than scriptural knowledge. Yes. So it's the community of the church is more important than what's being spoken from the pulpit. So this kind of relationship I think is the life that God is trying to show us. The relationship that we're seeing through John is that relationship between all the characters and feeling comfortable enough to speak to each other and to share little bits and pieces so that we know who we are. Which, by the way, he challenged us to give a testimony. And I did mine first just so I could chip with each of you to step forward and to give us a little bit more of who you are and the test, a little short testimony of your life. So I encourage you to think about that. Why did you look at me when you said a short testimony? <laughs> Make it as long as you want. Yeah, and as I say, that yeah, wait, so do I? Yeah. yeah, so thank you, Dale. So it's okay to be late. It is, and I'm sort of teased yeah. with that. Actually, I, I mean, this is this is where the rubber meets the road. I mean, road that's what you're really good at is getting us together, and yeah. So it keeps me, it's what keeps me going. And I've told everybody that over and over again that I would not be able to keep going. I had a hard time in Colorado Springs. What we do, what we do is who we are. Yeah. yeah. So that's, that's who you are as a leader, is getting people together and sharing, the open and do all this stuff. So, and then you teach us college. And so well done. Um, and I think, and if you guys do, I mean, so, as I said, I think a couple weeks ago, that I do want to give us opportunities to sort of share our own testimony or lives, because you don't get the chance to do that so much here. Um, and I want to take some time to do that, and Dale started that out, but if you, if you're interested in that, um, just email, and then I'll sort of figure out when, um, when to do that, um, depending on the week and stuff, so... So very, very interested in hearing that. And I'll do mine, too. Um, love to do mine. So, Where I'm coming from hmm? is that even if you're not interested in doing do it anyway. Do it, yeah. <laughs> Are you yeah. talking about once a quarter or once a month? I, I, don't have a, I, don't have a, I don't have anything specific. No, I'm probably talking about once a month or something, maybe. Because Daniel's just really... That that old adage, if I did it, I'd have to kill you. you know? <laughs> yeah, I'll shut off the re- I'll shut off the recorder for you, Daniel, so you're not incriminated. Thank you. Yeah, you this know, is going to be the X-rated version. <laughs> um, and I guess I would add, taking out what Dale said there, because we do often pit knowledge against relationship. And really, they I think they really should be combined. Yeah. I mean, and that's why we get into the word here, is because 
we do want to not just know about, more about Jesus. We want to know Jesus. It's like our wives. If I, we say, well, I just want to know a bunch of facts about my wife, that's not a relationship. Okay? It's, it's, the, it's doing this back and forth. And that's what I hope that we do here, is that we not just share our life, but we're also sharing God's word, which is a way we're going to have that relationship with him. Um, so, yeah, anyway. So, what we're doing tonight is we're going to read John 12. So, this is page... 76. 76, thank you. We're going to start it, because last week we looked at John 12, 1 through 11. So, we're going to, we're going to read, I'm going to have someone read John 12, 12 through the end, which I believe is 50, yes. And... The assignment was finding something in here. There's a whole lot of stuff. So instead of trying to go through it line by line, um, there's a whole lot of stuff here where Jesus reveals a lot about himself, about us. Um, as you read through, I want you to sort of think about what is it that you're hearing. It doesn't even have to be something you, you understand, per se, but just something that like, you go, wow, I didn't know that about Jesus, so that's pretty darn amazing. Whatever that is, whether it's about Jesus, whether it's about something he says about us, but something where you just go, wow, that is, you think to almost like to yourself, that's amazing. <laughs> okay. And I said last week that I had mine in here. Um, we're going to see whether Pete figures out what it was, but don't tell me yet what mine is. <laughs> so, um, anyway, who would like to read John... 12, 12 through 50. Okay. Well, you did, did you do last week? I do it every week. Well, let's do That's someone else. Let's do up. someone else. Let's have someone else. He's a great read. reader. I know he's he is. Reader. He is, but he's done. I want to let someone Thank else you. read. Maybe I'll try. Okay. Are you going to try? You'll be able to do a peek. All right. So, 12? Right. Yeah. Okay. The next day... The large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, they remembered the things that had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, See that you are, uh, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Now, among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, "Sir, we wish to see Jesus." Philip went and told Andrew. Uh, Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus, and Jesus answered them, "The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified." 
Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls on the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name, that a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there heard it, uh, said that there had been thundering. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus answered, This voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I'm lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by which kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he's going. While you have light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe him. So that the words spoken by Isaiah, uh, by the prophet Isaiah, might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw the glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, many, even the authorities, believed in him. But for the fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would be not put out of the synagogue. For they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me does not receive my words, has a judge. The words that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sees me has given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. Wow. Okay, just so you guys know how well I plan this study here, we're on week 36, and you notice how well I planned for tonight, because what event's happening? Easter. Right. And what's the beginning of Easter? <coughs> what's this Sunday? 
Palm Sunday. Sunday. See how well I planned that? I do. On week 36, <laughs> we were going to be here right before Palm Sunday. Yeah, so. right. Did you really? No. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> really? Of course not. I thought for sure you did. Yeah. I, I just realized. Real I just realized that right now, as we were, as you were reading, it, I realized, oh, this is Palm Sunday. Oh man, wow. I thought you had it under control. <laughs> That's, That's awesome. So, seeing how you started there with the with the palm, uh huh. What is the significance of carrying a palm crown out and putting it on the ground for Jesus? I have no idea. So his feet don't touch the dirt. It's a really good question. I really have no idea. Heard, Does anybody know? I, I, answer that? I, I saw something on that, actually. <laughs> That's a I great question. It, it, it was a... Uh, it stems. It branches from a uh, no <laughs> another tradition that had to do with some acknowledgement of, of royalty. Oh. It, was, it was something carried on. It was more of a, uh, a traditional, some kind of a cultural thing. And it really wasn't, like, critical to remember. It just was, like, you know, kind okay. of part of the deal. And, and it's funny that we carry it on. And I think that, I mean, he's, this is a fulfillment of an Old Testament scripture. Too. So it must have been important somewhere along the way. Yeah, yeah. There was a reason. And it's a good question that I actually don't, that's what I was wondering if anybody else do. I, I actually don't know. Okay. Um, don't know. So that's a good question. <clears throat> One of the things that points to that is that he needed to be glorified. And so maybe the laying of the palms was part of that glorification. Yeah, oh yeah. But, but it's a dichotomy because he came in humility riding on the back of a donkey. So he was not only glorified, but he was he came through humility, which is that was the that was the prophecy that he would come riding on the back of a right. So here's just some information. This is a good, good question. To be sure, observers might not understand the entry in peaceful terms. Rulers were welcome with similar fanfare. Fair. Oh. The palm branches suggest a triumphal entry for a military triumph or a royal acclamation. So this goes back to like Maccabees. So during this 400 years between the last Old Testament book and Jesus coming, you have Maccabees and you have those things, these things happening. So this was, it says, um, the carrying and waving of branches would also communicate triumph or royal welcome to ancient readers unfamiliar with the specific Maccabean associations note to Mediterranean Jews. Um, so, it sounds like this was something, I think they usually said, something sort of popular, not just for Jews, but a way that, that they would celebrate royal people coming in for some type of procession or something. So. Well, you want to know what it says on the internet? Yes. Palm trees invoke a sense of paradise and peace. That's why the ancient Jews used palm branches to greet Jesus as he entered Jerusalem. The just shall flourish like the palm tree. And that's from Psalms oh. 92.13. Yeah, it also says triumph and victory. And it also says victory with integrity. A meaning reinforced when we look skyward to see the leaves catch the wind. In ancient Greek mythology, palm leaves were the symbol of Nike, the winged goddess of victory. 
in 23, it says, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. So the process of the palms is the glorification process. Well, it's, it's the anticipation of, yeah. of, it's the, of some type of glory, just like the, not the glory that they were expecting, though. <laughs> yeah. Um, and this event is when, like the disciples and the crowd, were really thinking <coughs> that this was going to be the time that Jesus was finally going to say, I'm king, and I'm coming, and I'm going to conquer Rome, and I'm going to take back Jerusalem. It was going to be a military, in essence, war that was going to happen, and Jesus was going to be that. That was the expectation of the Jews. They were expecting a military um, war with Rome, and that the Jews would be able to take back over Israel. So but that was the expectation. Underlying the entrance was the crowd who witnessed him raising Lazarus yes. from the dead. Yes, very good. They were they were the plants in the audience that focused everybody onto this entry and, and began the glorification, yeah. if you will, in his in, grand entrance. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Okay, so what... So for those of you who did read it ahead of time and stuff, or... Um, what things impacted you the most as you were reading this? Or even if you hear it now, I mean, so if you just are hearing it for the first time, what is it um, that you just, like, you know, stood out to you? He's declaring that he should be high and lifted up. Jesus, the time has come for the Son of Man. Okay, and, and what is it that, like... He's using terminology... There's referring to Isaiah, but we studied in Isaiah before. We keep saying that again and again. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. Isaiah 52, Behold, my servant shall be high and lifted up. He shall be exalted. Yeah. Yeah. So it's the fulfillment of Isaiah. Yep. And so a servant in Isaiah, right? Yeah. That's the Redeemer before the Ancient of Days, right? So when he says here, servant, Jesus is talking... Yeah, you remember the servant songs of Isaiah? We went through the servant songs. Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. The servant that he's speaking of, is, is he speaking, it's kind of like an overlapping word, but is he speaking about his people, his believers, his followers? Is Where it, are you talking about it? Um, when Jesus is talking... I'll find it. Okay. Um, yeah. Maybe around when you talked about it there. <coughs> uh, I'll, I'll find it. Okay. We'll come back. All right. Okay. All right. How about anybody else? What? Um, yeah. Uh, Daniel. Well, I texted you last week after class. For me, like my whole entire life, John twelve twenty five has been. Kind of a pinnacle um, statement from Jesus, and it's, it's been with me my whole life. And I, I've always uh, it's it's. I'll just read it real quick. Whoever yeah. loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. You you kind of have to read on for that to make sense. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. 
If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. I mean, it's, it's, it's really been something that kind of the forefront of my mind through my whole entire life, you know, not to, not to enjoy this life too much, you know, not to get wrapped up in the things of this life. I have friends that now that they're older, they've got everything that they could ever want, you know, and they really, really love their life. And there's not any room for the Lord in their life. And, you know, I've got them reading all different types of books, and, like, I'll send this saying to them or whatever, and they don't have a clue, you know, what it means. Maybe they don't want to have a clue what it means, really. Because it interferes with their love affair, their existence at this point in time. I call that the process of taking me off the throne and putting Christ on the throne. Oh, so. You know, because in the world, when you become successful, and I did it, and it was by my will and my power and all the rest of that, the world really sucks you in. So it's not until you realize the futility of that uh, that you've got to get up and get off that throne and put Christ there and your job is to sit at his feet. And uh, and that's not an easy thing to do when you live in the world. But you know what's interesting for me? So it's kind of a dichotomy for me. It, It made me really, even when I had things that were going really well, it it never really allowed me to enjoy what what was happening in my life. And I've seen another side of that now, and those things don't matter anymore to me, because (coughs) I now have an overabundance of joy, more than I've ever had, and I love life more than I ever have. And not because of things, it's because of my walk with the Lord, and, and how close I feel to him on a moment-to-moment basis. Is and this a preamble of your testimony? Uh, well, <laughs> it, it all spirals into one, but you know what I mean? It's just when you walk so I'm not, you know, I feel very close to him all the time and I'm constantly, my job allows me to talk to him all day long and be a part of that experience. How do you do that? I work alone, and I just fill my thoughts with him constantly, and I'm constantly asking him for help and guidance and protection because my job can be a little dangerous. So I focus on him solely, and I listen to like worship music when I'm working, or I listen to books on tape that are about him, you know, and his kingdom. And so, yeah, I I feel like I'm kind of in a working monastery most of the time, you know what I mean? And so I find his presence very known to me. And because of that, it edges a lot of the negativity of life out, and it and it, it diminishes the, the physical, the material things. You know, where I, I see the beauty in, in his world, in nature, but it's that you know, the inanimate things that, that I just don't find interest in anymore. And so, yeah, I find this peace and this just amazing happiness and fulfillment in just being a part of his experience for my life at that moment, in that day, at that time. And so I wish I could share that with my friends that, you know, 
are on the, the edge or on the cusp of possibly believing or wanting to believe or whatever. I don't know how to push them over the edge. You know, I drop them. Sometimes life will push them over the edge, and you just have to be there to 100%. catch them. By the and other I side. have for <laughs> some of them for 30 years. I have, and they still refuse. They still they're just stubborn. You know, it's the material world has a a, a really strong hold on a lot of people. It's it's unfortunate, and it, it, it pains me. But I I can't save them. You know, I can only pray for them. Right. So anyway, that's Good, that you. one. That one sits really deep with me. One of the things that you said uh, is in a book I'm reading now, Finding Sanctuary, and they talk about silence and, and quieting to in order to hear the voice of the Lord. And what happens is, is we have a lot of noise between our two ears that has to be drowned out. And he recommended, this comes from a Benedictine monk, and um, his mantra to drown that out is, forgive me, Lord, for I am a sinner. Come soon to help me. And that, I heard you say that. And, and what that is, is that that's putting him on the throne and getting things straight. But just that little, and he recommends saying this over and over when the noise of the world keeps trying, and if you say this as you breathe in and breathe out, it helps get you focused. I, I do that when I'm on the saw, I'm, I'm a cabinet maker, a furniture maker. I do that when I'm on the saw, when I want to focus. And I do it a lot when I'm out in the desert racing motorcycles. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I constantly saying, <laughs> constantly saying the 23rd Psalm over and over and over again in my head. I've got another mantra that I say. It, it clears my head, you know, and I just, yeah, you do. You have to keep your head completely clear. And then when, it occurs to me when you do that, you push the influence of the world away. 100%. So it, it's it's not focusing on him solely. It's drowning out the false message of the world at the yeah. same time. Just the, the, the old tapes that run through a lot of our heads. You know? <laughs> All right, uh, Jason. That <laughs> was no, good. Thank you. Very very good. Super good. Yeah. yeah. Uh, a couple things. One. Uh, uh, yeah. Right. Okay. Um, that are kind of an alternative sort of bookend. It's kind of interesting. So uh, 12, 19. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you're gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after you. And then, and these are in these crux places. Then you move to 1243. For they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. So what he's teeing up in the first one, of course, is the fact that it just it demonstrates their their mentality and their reality. See, we're, we're gaining nothing. The world has gone after him. They, they can't see the glory of God. Right? So uh, that was interesting. And then... Um, the, what, Which yeah, really is defined by the ending, right? What's right. really happening? They're seeking their own glory. Of course, yeah. yeah. That's good. And, and the second, the second book end then stops yeah. and then it's the final paragraph. Uh huh. Which is just beautifully, it's just really yeah. cool good, the way good, John good did it. Catch it out. That's good, Jason. Um, and then really from 20 
uh, all the way through 29, um, I think is just fascinating. And in here, um, and it's fascinating because it speaks to, there's, there's so much going on in there. It's just, it's just like, it's wild. First of all, so these Greeks come. Right and for for and now it's not clear are these Jewish Greeks or are they just Greeks Probably but but Greeks. Yeah. yeah so suddenly makes a point of saying these Greeks show up oh two of the the disciples get involved and have to go tell Jesus about it well this is odd clearly it's a big deal these Greeks show up right so they're probably most I would say Gentiles they come and suddenly. All they have to do is tell Jesus, hey, the Greek, some Greeks are here to see you. Bam! That's it. My time has come. He doesn't go talk to them. There's nothing they said. Yeah. It's the event that gets the triggers. Very good. Suddenly, the, the, the time has come. So he knows... So why is that that? Why do you think that's true? Because yeah. the door has now opened to the rest for of the, the entire world. Yeah. right. Very good. Because yeah. of what he says later, I'll be lifted up and God, all, everyone will be drawn to me. I will draw everyone to me. So, that was fascinating to me. And you just point with what you're saying there, because, so you see how what you said is a 19 is the start of the inclusio. Right. So notice what it is. The Pharisees are actually prophetic without realizing it. Right. Because the Pharisees say, you see that you're getting nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. they don't realize they're actually prophetically saying, yeah, that's exactly what's happening. Yes. And, and Jesus is like, okay. Right. Okay. Yeah. And, 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 so, and then 27 through 30 is, is, he lays out whoever loves his life, and he's speaking to himself as well. Right? Because he knows what's coming. And this lays it out for us to hold the suffering, the long suffering is us suffering the world. Right? And and understanding now, David, who's not here, we were talking about that, the level of stress, the other, like a, a while back, we were talking about that stress level. Yeah, right. And we were debating on what was Jesus' extreme, and my opinion is that because of who he is and the level of purity that he was, I mean, he was a, he's a holy, he's God, his level of feeling, of sensitivity to life in the flesh would have been astronomically greater than ours. And how do you see that here? Now, is my soul troubled? And what shall I say? Because yes, my soul is troubled. I'm in the flesh. I'm sweating blood. Right? I've never sweat blood. Jesus could sweat blood. And where do we hear that word troubled? Anybody remember? Where where do we hear that word troubled? Same word. We just, we heard it just... When when was Jesus troubled (laughs) before? Remember? We have trouble right here Same in River City. <laughs> Lazarus. Lazarus, that's right. Lazarus. That's right. Greatly troubled. Yeah, right. soul was greatly right. troubled. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So last time Jesus mm-hmm. was troubled was mm-hmm. at the Lazarus time. Right. So you do, you, you very good, you get just like this whole sense of Jesus is fully experiencing these emotions. And, yeah. And this, to me, is, is so, uh, convicting. Right? About, about, <laughs> Every moment that we suffer, every every challenge of the world that we have to overcome, and remembering very 
deeply that as Jesus had a time, had a purpose, so do we. And ours is to be with him, always, as Daniel said, just always. Purpose, I have come to this hour, right? But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. It's just, yeah. Yeah, which is also interesting because look what Jesus does, which is a model for us, right? He doesn't say, look at me, everybody, glory to me. Mm-hmm. He says, you see me, I'm you doing see this for my Father. Glorify yeah. your name. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. With my sacrifice. Yeah. 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 All right, others. Yes. When he's speaking to the light, um, I noticed what caught my attention was he went from in 11, speaking in parable, to speaking directly. So in, in 35, so Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of the light. Uh-huh. If we were to go back to 11, uh, 11.9, page 68, Jesus answered, And there are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. And then if you're going back further, he says he is the light a number of times. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's good seeing that light. Like, so what what strikes you about that? <clears throat> Just from, from speaking this way to speaking directly as he's getting closer and closer to the day. Yeah. It also kind of compounds the fact that when he says, I came to save this world, not to condemn it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's kind of really, he could have easily condemned this world. You know, easily. Right. Could have just wiped it out. But he came as the light, to bring light, to save the world. Yeah. I mean, you walk into the light, you don't really want to walk into the darkness, you know? Yeah, Pete. He's also uh, mirroring uh, more of what's going on in Psalm 118. Um, they quote they quote Psalm 118. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's 118:26. This is what he comes with the palm branches. Yeah. Uh huh. But then a little bit further down, or just just the next verse, it says, "The Lord is God. He has made made His light shine on on us." Oh, interesting. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's oh wow. Uh, this is Psalm 18. 118. Wow, Psalm yeah, 118, wow. 26 and 27, okay. so it goes directly from that to, to speaking of the light, which is what's happening in the verses as well. Huh. And before that, it means a very messianic, because it's, uh, verse 22 is the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, which is very messianic. And that's Psalm 118 too? Yeah. Wow, that's all like right, oh, that's all back to back. Yeah. That's one thing I think we've talked about it here, but the uh, principle of reading scripture is whenever Jesus or anybody quotes a psalm, they are in context talking about the entire psalm. So, just like what you're hearing here. So, the people back then would have known all of Psalm 18, probably, many of them by heart. So, when you have anybody, or even John, quoting a psalm, you can pretty much look and say, go read the whole thing like what Pete's doing. Because it's really saying, okay, 
here's this quote, but I'm really talking about the whole, it's good to read the whole thing. Um, for it. So, all right, others, what other things did you guys, uh, if, uh-huh. verse 47, if anyone hears the word and does not keep them, I do not judge him. The grace and the uh, forgiveness there is overwhelming to me. But, but keep read the next one. What, 48? Yeah. The one who rejects me and does not receive my word has a judge. But He's okay. saying, he's. I didn't come here, he's not here in the flesh to judge and condemn. But, if you don't do what I'm telling you to do, you still have a judge. Not now, but you do have one. Okay. Yeah, I would, I would just... But I think Bruce saying you have a lifetime. Yeah, you see, you see right. have a lifetime right. to yeah. repent. That's what he's saying. While you have the light, walk in it. Because yeah. you're going to... There's a, the light goes off at one point. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. Yeah, isn't it interesting? So it's not, he doesn't say he. Yeah. It's, it's the word the will judge him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so that's, that's what stood out to me the most. And I said that last week in reading again still. It's the same, same answer. Uh-huh. And so kind of one question I have is it seems like there's some distinguishing between Jesus is doing between him and his word, right? Because he's saying, I don't judge you, um, but the word I have spoken will, will judge him. Because where did he get the word? Yeah, yeah. Jason's question is a good one. Where did he get the word? He got the word from? Where? Father. He the Father. Yeah, he doesn't speak right. on his own accord. Everything he says, he was given Which by the exactly Father. exactly what he says right here. Yeah. Well, we, we started with John, the word uh, made uh, was made flesh right. and dwelt among us. Yeah. So, but it says the word, it's not capital, like the logos. Right. It's not the, the word, uh, which is interesting. That, and maybe and, and maybe it has to do with time. Like maybe, maybe it's he's not judging them. Uh, I did not come to judge the world. So, but that's now though. That was him then. He did not come to judge Right, and I then. think that's what I've read as of right here. He's <clears throat> referring to exactly what you're saying. Yeah. Saying, but I'm not here right now to judge you. He's ultimately going to be raised up to become the ultimate judge. Right. But right now, when he's here with them, he's here to bring that salvation. But, and, and he's here with us now through the Spirit. The judgment comes on the last day. That's when he comes riding on a, on a you horse. You have to hear right? the word and receive it. Yeah. Military. Yeah. That's a great point. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, Emmanuel, God with us, the, the context of the Lord of Armies, when he's coming on the horse with the hosts. Yeah. The great 12:30. He says, "The voice has come for your sake, not mine." Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. So his resurrection is him being lifted up. And that is the the obvious sign that he is God. And that will draw all people to him. Which is now, we said before, opening up salvation to the whole world. 
to us today. Yeah. Why are we here? Not just the Jews, <laughs> but the Gentiles, yeah. the Greeks and all. Yeah. But he says, now is the judgment of this world, as is present tense while he's there, right now, in that moment. Right. So he's kind of laying a, kind of a, kind of throwing the gauntlet down, like, hey, you either believe in me now, or... Which then leads even to today. Right. You better believe in him now. Yeah, because we yeah. don't know in our last right. moment on this planet. Well, and and I think you see the tension of the what's always called in Scripture, already, not yet. There was this tension between what's ha- what happened back then, with what's going to happen, what's happening right now, with what's going to happen. You always have this tension between what's already happened. It's like Satan. Well, he's already been defeated on the cross. He's already been defeated, but guess what? He's not fully defeated yet, right? We all know that. Not until the very, very end. So he just has this tension. So he, the kingdom's here, but it's still coming. And that's so. what he's mentioning when he says the ruler of this world would be cast. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All but, right, but others. He's, yeah, well. he's also, right, is the, is, is the, the big picture judgment right. Right, of all the souls, right? right. And or, or spirits. And then he's already told the, the Pharisees and Sanhedrin, the Jews, you will die in your sins. He's already condemned them. They're done. Mm-hmm. Like, sorry, you you were made done. You can't believe. You've been cursed accordingly, and you will die in your sins. It's it's, it's gnarly. Yeah, right. So, so let's, um, let's yeah. Other, no, hold on. No. I was just gonna no. have another no. inspirational <laughs> one. Stop. Another no. inspirational. You don't let other people talk. <laughs> so you already had. Yeah, I won't let other people go. Okay, others. What do you guys think, Eric? When I read this whole thing, I read it about three times. And one thing kind of overriding was <coughs> momentum. That the preamble, raising Lazarus and the crowd witnessing that, and his triumphant entry, that was his glorification, which had to be happened. Um, and then the Greeks come to talk to him and... I don't have time for that because I got a mission and I'm not varying from the mission and I, this is my time has come and I'm going to be true to the mission and there can be no distractions because this is this is what I'm here to do. Yeah. And it's just this overwhelming momentum that he jumps on and and he knows what it's about and all these things that happen are are bringing together his whole purpose for coming in so many ways. And so I'm here, I came to do this, this is what I've done, this is how you can maybe understand why I came and all the rest of that, but he's not distracted because he's on a mission and he's going to the cross, and there's just no distraction. Yeah, so think about, you know, we've been sort of meandering our way, we're on week 36 of going through John, right? So we've been going through these three years of Jesus' ministry, and now literally... So right today, mm-hmm. when we meet next week, Jesus will have died and been crucified mm-hmm. and it have risen again. So in one week, so Palm Sunday, which would be this Sunday, is what we just read. Right. Okay, so when we meet again, we'll be seven days. In, you just said, of how fast is this going? Oh, yeah. It is going really fast <laughs> now because in seven days, Jesus will have risen from the dead and right. died of the died from the died on the cross and risen from the dead 
in just in just these those seven days. It's not so, like he doesn't have time for anything. It's the only thing on his mind right now. Yeah. Well, you know what I mean? Yeah. And he's just he's, fulfilling he's his focused. Mission, right? He's focused in That's what in getting mind. this over with yeah. and getting this done. Right. I mean, if any of us got a seven day death sentence, that's probably all we could think about. Too. Yeah. So look at look at your book. This is interesting when you take a look, right? So this is John. We have gone through this amount, all right? And this happens with the Gospels, too. And now we are in the last week of Jesus' life. Look how much there's retention. (laughs) Quite a bit. So you're talking about, you know, at least a third. How much is devoted to the last week of Jesus' life? There you go. Quite a bit in context to the three years that we just went through with this ministry. All right, others. Um... Bruce, did you have anything more, or did you... That was good. No. Yeah. You see the grace. I, I hear you saying you see the grace of God. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I have a question. Uh-huh. Um, verse 31. The prince of this world be cast out. Is that what yours says, the prince? Yeah, King uh-huh. James. Mm-hmm. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. So... Shall means will soon happen. So does that mean upon his crucifixion that Satan fell from heaven? Well, that's not, I don't think we, well, first of all, we don't really know when Satan fell from heaven. I believe. Well, what does cast out mean then? Yeah, it's a good question. Isn't that, I think, when God what comes, he overrules Satan. The Holy Spirit comes, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, I mean, it's a good question, Tom. I think, again, that's a tension between the sort of already, not yet. So, in this situation, when Jesus is going to go across, he's, I, I would say he's going to fool Satan. <laughs> Satan's going to be defeated, ultimately, by the, him raising, being raised from the cross. It's like, who, who has won here? The cross represents that Jesus has won. But I think that it's not obviously, I don't think it means that they cast out from heaven because I believe that scripture was what little says happened way before, yeah, way, way, way before, possibly even before creation. Um, his casting out of his heaven. His casting out from heaven. With the angels warring. Yeah, because what do you have? Genesis 1, Genesis 3 with the serpent, which we find out in the New Testament is Satan. Yeah. Satan's already been cast out from heaven yeah. at the point we read Genesis 3. So, but he's not finally defeated until we get to Revelation 19, I think it was 20, something like that, yeah. So, so is this the only place? Is it commonly believed that this verse 31 saying, the prince of this world be cast out, that that means at the point of crucifixion? Jesus now has authority? I would want to check. Or does it refer to Revelation? It could refer to both. I don't know. For sure. It's kind of a I positional guess I think it's thing, sort of a, it? I think, yeah. Well, that's a good way of putting it. Yeah, because, I mean, it's when so he gets up the rough of life and the veil is rent and there's quaking, there's major stuff going on. And until he rises up again and then a bunch of people are raising up. I mean, there's, like, stuff in the neighborhood. That's a good way to think about that. It could be positional in the sense yeah, that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on up. Okay, I got. Uh huh. 
potential answer to my own question in okay. verse, verse 46. Uh-huh. I am coming in, I have, I am come a light into the world that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. So he's saying in the earlier verse, Satan shall be cast out. And Satan will be cast out of all of our lives if we believe in the light. Amen. Okay, good. Amen. Yeah. That's it. I think you can draw that. Yeah. So the question which I have is, is this the only place where the existence of Satan is acknowledged? Oh, no. I mean, in Scripture? Or yeah, in scripture no, Satan's mentioned a lot in the New Testament. Okay. Yeah. Because this is an acknowledgement also that, oh, yeah. that I mean, he's the enemy. In Jesus' the mystery, he's mentioned right at the very beginning um, when he when Jesus goes out of the desert and is tempted by Satan. Right. Well, so, okay. Yeah. All right, others. What things sort of just struck you? I have a question. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, um, I don't have a lot of answers tonight. I told you when it's... <laughs> 38, uh-huh. when it refers to Isaiah. Lord, yes. who has believed what he heard from us, and to whom... Has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Mm-hmm. What is the significance of the arm of the Lord? Is it is the arm a powerful instrument? Yes, it is. Okay. So that's the metaphor for power. Okay. Okay. Usually, is the arm of the Lord is like the power of, the, of God. The, yeah. pr- prophetically, it's it's referred to Jesus. Yeah. The arm. Yeah. Okay. Not God. Well. Well. Yeah. One of the things. Yes. It's his actionable appendage. Good. So the arm represents power and authority. Right. Very yeah. okay. Yep, exactly. Yeah. Especially when you say the right hand, mm-hmm. even more so with it. Okay. Um, okay, others. What? Anything? We talked about some of uh-huh. the emotion, I think, that Jesus demonstrated last week. The um, what? Some of the emotion. Oh, emotion, right. 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 Uh-huh. Um, I'm trying to think of what exactly it was. But, uh, deeply moved, right? Uh, and that's you mentioned that, that was the most powerful emotion possible in Greek. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I, I haven't seen this uh, prior, but in 44, Jesus cried out, right? He said, is there any other instances where he's crying out before he speaks? You know, a lot of times it's truly, truly I say to you, and it's in very matter-of-fact ways, but there's seems to be an escalating amount of emotion. Yeah, mm-hmm. the good point. It's yeah. trouble. It's yeah. trouble. Does it make sense? Yeah. We um, cried out to the Lord. Um, it's yeah. I'm trying to look to see... Um, Yeah, so that's, um, I think that's the only place I see, yeah, I don't know if there's another, yeah, I'm not sure if it's the same word, so I was just looking to see if it's the same word, I think that's the only time that cried out appears here in John, is that word, but you get that sense of emotion, yeah. I got one more to throw out. Uh Uh-huh. Uh, 40. He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts. Yes. Lest they see with their eyes and understand with their hearts and turn, and I would heal them. Mm-hmm. So, it seems that the heart is the key. 
Yes. You have a hardened heart. The coming to the Lord is through your heart and not through your brain. Yeah, and you know, and so the heart doesn't the heart represent your soul? Well, so that's what I'm going to say. So Jeff has brought this up before. It's important to realize that in Scripture, the word heart, the best way I can characterize heart from a scriptural perspective is is who you are as a person. Uh, it is a, it is the fullness of who you are as a person, not the body, not the brain, but it's your it, it can encompass your emotions. It does encompass the intellect encompasses sort of your whole being, all right? So when Scripture uses the word heart, you can really think it's talking about not just like this, not just like this um, focus just on me, me, or something. It's really the whole person. The core um, you. Yeah, which is, going back to how Dale opened up and said, oh, it's good that we get together, and it's not just about knowledge about Scripture. And that's what's interesting here is that Jesus is saying, and Isaiah goes back and says, that understanding is something that has to be not just, it's not something just in your head we're talking about, a bunch of knowledge about Scripture, because that's what the Pharisees did, and, and Jesus says, hey, you guys know these Scriptures really well, and you've totally missed me. You've totally missed the relationship, you know. So that this understanding has to come fully from our sight. Like you understanding Joe. You know, it's like, do you really get her? I don't think I'll ever understand the joke. <laughs> you know, um, yeah, so. So this, since you're hitting on that, I'll so share mine. Heart, does, that, yeah. does that connote how the relationship happens? Is through the heart. Uh, yes, yes, through our exactly. Well, right. Does Paul in 1 Corinthians say, you know, faith, hope, and love are the greatest of these you know? Yeah, which is again the. So Jeff talked about it on right. Sunday. He goes, Bono said, wow, imagine that. And Bono's the authority. Yeah, right? <laughs> that love, love trumps fate. Yeah, love I, trumps right. hope. Right. And I was just saying to him, I go, yeah, if you, if you love the Lord and you know the Lord loves you, then you don't really need faith and hope because you know He's got you. Yeah, the, the problem with that, I have a little bit of a problem with that because mm-hmm. faith is the means in which we, as a gift given to have that relationship with the God we can't see. It is the so stepping You can't have love without there. faith. I mean, you cannot, you can't love God without faith. Faith is the thing that enables us to actually love God. And then so once to you, try to put them at odds, I go, But yeah. once you get there, yeah. once you are fully in rapture with Him, that's part of faith. Faith is what allows that to take place. Yeah, it's the stepping stone that gets you. No, no, no. It's, it's, it's like, it's the, it's more than just a stepping stone. I think it's, it's eternal uh, requirement. Yeah, right. right. It, it begets. Right. Like, it's like the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. You don't go, well, Jesus got me into the Father, and I don't need Jesus anymore. No, Jesus is part of that equation. Yeah. And notice in, in John, faith is pistis. Okay, you wouldn't. Okay, so every time we read the word believe, which is the main word used in John, it is the theme of John. We talked about as we've gone through John. But the theme is believe, which is also the same word used for faith, which is also the same word used for trust. Generally, mm-hmm. it is the word pistis in Greek, and it is a it is a relational <laughs> term. Mm-hmm. You don't, everything is about do you believe. In fact, what you're seeing here in John, the section we're looking at, 
is most what's happening. You have this tension between, it's just constantly saying, they're not believing, they're not believing. Alright? Some do believe, but even them, some of them fall away. So it's all about, John's whole thing is not just, oh, I believe in Jesus. It's that you can keep believing. That you're going to keep that relationship going. But does love not encompass oh. faith and hope as well? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's what I'm saying. One in itself. Yeah. The I, same? I think it's all. Yeah. 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 Like Heiser talks about it. Yeah. He talks about, you know, Yahweh being seen and unseen behind the veil. Right. And he said, well, then where is God going to reside in his people? And he resides in your heart. Right. And that becomes that passage in the Bible where he says, I don't mend your heart. I give you a new heart because he lives in it. Exactly. So. I, uh, uh-huh. yeah. Sorry, I, I was just going to say, uh, regarding your relationship with God and how you had mentioned that oftentimes you feel him, you speak to him, and it's more of a dialogue, yeah, it I seems could be like. Pathologically crazy. <laughs> yeah. as well, but I, do no, I don't think you are. Yeah. It's called faith. Yeah. Uh, well, it, it <laughs> seems like, you know, I, I would venture to guess that you feel that love, uh, from him. 100%. And, and it's a two-way street. Yeah. So, so yeah. I have faith because I feel his love and I know he's not going to hurt me. Yeah. He's going to save me and protect me. Yeah. So, so I think for me, I'm kind of exercising the discipline to have faith nice. and follow the book because I don't quite feel that, you know, love, if you will. Yeah. Um, not that it's not there. You know, maybe I'm just not cognizant of it. Um, so to your point about, like, the discipline of faith or how that relates to, to love, if you will. Yeah. I mean, for me, to find God, I had to acknowledge that the devil existed. And for me, to believe in miracles, I had to start looking for them. And once I started to see microscopic miracles, those miracles got bigger and bigger, and it was undeniable. Big miracles in your life? Yeah, absolutely. 100%. Yeah. I mean, microscopic ones, though. Like, people would ask coincidence, and I'd mean that. And then you just, I just started to focus and I'd pray on it and those miracles got bigger and bigger. Mm. And now I see them all the time. And I see his hand at work all the time. Mm. Well, if you don't believe in him, you can't see him. That's correct. Yeah, you have to give yourself a chance to believe in him. So, where I was, so that you guys were bringing up Isaiah 6, 9 through 10. So for me, the part in, um, just to give it away, I was just going to see, I was teasing Pete last week about, do you remember where I said this? So, a lot of my faith, you should talk about my faith, has been driven a lot by Isaiah 6, 9 through 10. Um, because, and because my, sort of my, a lot of what I've done in my in ministry, doing this up here, has all been sort of my key passage in all of Scripture is Isaiah 6, 9 through 10, as it relates to Matthew 13, which is a good soil parable. So in the good soil parable, most people will preach that. When I first started studying that parable, you will hear many people preach that. Remember, there's four, so, there's four soils that the word falls onto, or four, four places God's word falls onto. What's fascinating is that all four, all four of them hear God's word. Okay, so so you. But the first three 
something happens to that word that it never takes effect. All right, and if I can go through all those things. But what is what it happens is a fourth soil, and you guys, I think I did a teaching on this one time here. A hundredfold. Well, right, a hundredfold. But why? Okay, and what I say is the is there's only one word in that parable that makes a difference between those who hear the word and those who produce the fruit. Only one word. The soil. Understand. Understand. With their hearts. Exactly. And turn and be Exactly. Which comes from Isaiah 6, 9 through 10. Okay. So the problem of Israel, I would say, and then it wasn't just in Isaiah's time, the problem during Jesus' time, why he quotes Isaiah 6, 9 through 10 so often, and we see it here, Paul quotes Isaiah 6, 9 through 10, and I would venture to say it's exactly the problem that still exists today, even within the church, which is, are we really, are we just hearing God's word go in and goes out the other way, all right? Are we really getting it? Are we really understanding with our heart? Is it really making a difference in that relationship? Don't so, you recognize so, that, though, through relationships in well, community? Yeah, well, yeah, and, and, mm. being, and being in this Word and being in that relationship with God. And the whole family. Right. Sure. This, this sure. Is the, hold on, hold on, Jason. That's the, <laughs> Just, yeah. that's the affirmation of yes. 43. Yes. Yeah. So... For me, when we were studying Isaiah, and I had never seen this before, it was, I, I was saying, this is what just shh, blew my brain at the time we were in Isaiah. It's a way I changed, it changed how I read scripture because of one verse again. Mm-hmm. So when we were studying Isaiah, and I finally got to, because I've done, I actually did some of my thesis stuff on Isaiah 6, 9 through 10. I mean, I've just studied mm-hmm. Isaiah 6, 9 through 10 a lot. Mm-hmm. But when we were in Isaiah 6, 9 through 10, what I did not see is I was looking to say, hey, where's all this quoted in the New Testament? And when we came to this passage in John, and I read this verse, which was, um, yeah, which was page 82, which is John 12, 41. I mean, like, I could say I literally fell out of my chair using a metaphor. Because it says that, if you remember, Isaiah 6, 9 through 10 are the first words that God tells Isaiah to speak in judgment to the people. When does Isaiah get this message? He is literally in the presence of God. If you remember, he's in the throne room of God. He realizes his sin. God forgives his sin, atones for his sin. And then Isaiah speaks this to the people. All right, to go speak this to the people. But what I never saw is what John says here, which is Isaiah. So this Isaiah said these things back in Isaiah six nine through ten when he was in the presence of God. He said he said these things because he Isaiah saw his glory, which is who Jesus, Jesus. and spoke of him. I never knew <laughs> that who Isaiah was encountering and the throne room was Jesus himself. It wasn't just God. 
he was actually encountering the living Christ in Isaiah 6, which really shows you that Christ, which is what this does to me, it shows you Christ really is part of the Old and New Testament. The Old too. That, that you just see him do everything that Christ has been there. And so I just read that. I just went, I read 41. I was like, oh my gosh. You know, because mostly I think, oh, Jesus, yeah, I remember he, Moses, when he hit the rock, Jesus was somehow there, I guess. I didn't get that. But here it actually says, that, it, and it, it actually gives you the idea, almost like Isaiah knew it was Christ, in the way he says this here. So it's just, it blew my mind to think that, yeah, Christ truly has been the main part of everything, including the Old Testament, in a way I never saw. So that's what hit me about this. Yeah, it's uh, interesting because 39 and 40 reiterate Isaiah, Isaiah 6, 9 It's, it's a quote. Yeah. It's, Isaiah, it's quoting Isaiah 6, 9 through 10. I understand. So it's just like, wow. wow right. So it, it really where, sort of changed the Old Testament. Uh, John 12, 39, 40. Therefore, they could not believe, for again, Isaiah said, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with oh, their yeah. heart in turn, and I would heal them. That's amazing. And so what what it says in Isaiah, God gives the word, lest they turn and be healed. Yeah. And he says, I. Right. And yes. Yeah. Let's say, yeah. Yeah. So cool. Which is the repentance again. Which ultimately, how do you get out of this? It's how we all get out of this. Turning our lives and repenting. Well, he's claiming his throne. Yeah. You know, he's claiming his throne. Yeah. What we were on before, in terms of the, you were talking about, well, what about the community of of, you know, the people. And this is where that love, that faith, that knowledge all work together, right? Which is, is which is what everyone has told the Jews all the way along and us. The first thing above anything else is you got to love God with all your heart, your mind, and your soul. And if you don't, it, it, you're, everything else will be falling. And his, what he says, for they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. They were more concerned with not getting kicked out of the synagogue than they were with the glory of God. Because they didn't love God. They loved each other and themselves. Yes, sir. Picking up kind of what Daniel said in your struggle, if I'm to be really honest about my walk, my biggest struggle was, hey, I'm doing pretty good. And I don't need God. <laughs> and, and I'll walk with you. And when I need you, I'll call you. Yeah. But right now, I'm doing just fine. And um, I, I'm going to keep you in my back pocket when things kind of get out a little out of control. And, and I don't know what to do. And so it's, it's the success of the world that's in competition with letting him into my heart. And I got to say that it wasn't until I sat on the catapult in Vietnam wondering if I was going to die that night that I thought, you know what, Jesus, <laughs> you're, I'm, you're, you're, I'm all in from now on. And so um, it's overcoming the competition of our success in the world <clears throat> with submitting. Mm-hmm. That's the tough part, mm-hmm. and and you went, really went through that, big time. 
I think death puts it in perspective, you know, potential end of breathing scenarios. You know, I, I kind of did the same thing for a while, even after I made up my mind. I'm like, oh, I'm a Christian now. I've been baptized. Mm-hmm. I can kind of exactly. float a little. Yeah. And then one day I woke up and I went, you know what? What if today was my last day? My absolute last day and there is no final judgment. Yeah. The judgment of this life. Like right now. Claim it. Claim it now. While you're alive. While you can breathe. While you're conscious. You know, I don't want to go into no cheats allowed. Yeah. I don't <laughs> want to go to some one. purgatory, fire hell thing or whatever, you know what I mean? It's just, I, I don't, we don't know what's on the other side, really. We know what's right here and now, and we can feel the Holy Spirit. We can feel God working in our lives. So why not be the absolute best possible person you can be while you're alive? Because that might be all you get. That might be, that might be it. And it's amazing because when I made that commitment, my life changed dramatically. I mean, I can go into details, but I won't because it's just it's a complete different life. Mm-hmm. I would add that it's not until you make that commitment that you can even have an opportunity to see God working in your life. 100%. Mm-hmm. Amen. Mm-hmm. So can you saw me one more time? Saw, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Would you mind repeating that last, said, that, that last thing that you said? It's not until you completely commit that you can begin mm-hmm. to see how God has been working in your life. Mm-hmm. And how That's he has what you your said. yes and amen. How he has your best waiting for you. And how he just wants you to be happy and prosperous. 100%. I kid you not. And it's not, it's not all about the negative judgment because Revelation 22.12, look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me. Mm-hmm. And I will give to each person according to what they have done. Speaking of rewards, so it's not just a negative, but what the Lord encourages us to seek these rewards. Yeah, like yeah. genuine. Yeah. It says you get not because you ask not. Yeah. Yeah. You know? so, so, Tom, you were kind of. Yeah, you guys know that my favorite verse, I suppose you could say, favorite verse is Romans 10 9. And it's, I was shocked just a few minutes ago how it pops up in a big way in the study. <laughs> No, I thought about you when I read that part. Yeah. So, you know, I'll just read uh, 10.9 Romans again. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth that the Lord Jesus and believe in thy heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Confess and believe. And then you go to John 12.42. Nevertheless, among the chief rulers, many believed. But because of Pharisees, they did not confess. Yeah, that's amazing. Mm. You got to have both. Right. You got to not just have confess it. Confess a public believe. declaration, right. and it has risk. Yes, exactly. And yeah. these guys didn't take the risk, so they didn't want to be caught by <coughs> Right. Forgive me, Lord, for I am a sinner. Come soon to help me. And it also is pretty amazing because it says many. These are chief rulers, and it says many believe. That's amazing. Oh, yeah. They're just flat-out heretics if, if they believe. Yeah, They're yeah. chucking their whole their whole life behind them, but they didn't check it. They, they went halfway. Well, mm-hmm. I mean, I actually see what we're doing here as part of that confessing. I mean, you were talking about, like, you know, how do I sort of keep feeling, or how do I stay in that? It's like any relationship you have with anybody, and, uh, you know, here it's like, 
if I say, oh, I love my wife, but I don't really spend time with her and talk to her and everything, it's like you sort of not really feel that love anymore. <laughs> you got to stay in the relationship. It's like what Eric was saying, staying mm. in it. I mean, that's what, what you were saying. You got to stay together, and that's what we're doing, like here. I mean, we're staying together, but we're focused on the Lord, but we're doing it all together. There's a huge thing about doing this all together. Well, would you work to have that commitment and that relationship with the Lord as well? Yeah. Yes, yeah, too. Daniel. Would you would you say that that was your experience? Where for you it seems like if there was a switch that flipped overnight, frankly, but then you strengthened that by continuing to invest in that relationship, or was it just with overnight the Lord, for you? Yeah, not with others. Yeah, yeah. Did I, you realize I, the competition? Yeah, that was going on 100%. in your life. Hundred percent. Because yeah. the, the competition course. continued, even though you decided to go over the line. 100%. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What I said earlier was what we do. You understand is what the competition is. is like are. the temptations of yeah. Yeah. our bodies? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. There's a spiritual right. warfare out there. Mm-hmm. Drags you in. Yeah. Go ahead, Dale. Like earlier I said, what we do is who we are. Yeah. So he continually does these things while he's at work to reinforce himself. So when he gets in a situation outside of where he's working, where it's might be a little bit less safe, you can mentally go back and call upon that. Yeah. Um, something that happened to me on the way here tonight. Um, um, when I was six years old, I saw a kid fall out of a car, and the car passing ran over his head. Oh, oh good lord! And it popped like a cantaloupe, and I saw that. Uh, when was this? When I was six. 1946. 1946. Yeah. Before we had car seats. So the kid was running back and forth on the back seat. Uh, and the windows were open, so he put his hand out on this side, and then Ronald would put his hand out on this side. And I was in the car following my dad was driving. And my dad started to pass, and then a cart was passing my dad. So he, my dad pulled back in, and this guy passed. Not going very, nobody was going very fast. But the kid ran across the seat so fast, he flipped over and fell out and fell right in front. And uh, so that's a lot of years ago from 1946. And tonight... Just as I was walking out to get in the car, a neighbor drove, I live on a T, so I, I'm up here, and this car drove down here, and this is a dead end. So this little girl was sitting on the window with her hands on top of the car, waving her arms around in the air. And I went back, that just flashed in my head. And that's probably what's driven me all my life about lifeguarding and teaching all of us that stuff. But I could just see this little girl falling backwards, grabbing onto the car, falling, and her head getting under the back wheel as it passed over. And I just, I just did this flashback. So all the stuff that I've been doing for the past 70 some years, practice just all came to a forefront and I I just jumped in the car and drove down and pulled mom's side and said 
you can't do that anymore. Just, I'm out. Mm. She was real receptive, so mm. didn't even think about it. How old is, uh, was the kid? Uh, I would guess the little girl was probably five-ish, six-ish, somewhere in that neighborhood. So just a little tiny kid. But there were like four of the kids in the car and they were all giggly and, you know, five little girls in the car. Just just such a dumb move by today's standards. All right. Yeah. Practice. Yeah. Practice when we're alone. Practice we're in a place where we're safe. Practice where here we can encourage one another and show each other this is this is what's happened in my life. So when we walk out of here and face things that are different, we have a point of reference. Yeah. So with that, yeah, with that, and with what Tom said about how he ended talking about Romans 9, about we, and it says in here, we can't just like, okay, this was all great, I got it on the side of me, we have to get it out of us. Yeah. We have to confess it, we have to share it. So there's my challenge this week. Sir. We all, well, just to, to just take something we heard here. And just whether it's your wife, whether it's a friend, whether it's someone you meet at the store, whatever it is, try to find a way to share something we've talked about tonight with someone else. Um, because there's something about faith, our faith, that when we speak it, it actually increases the faith that's in us. Mm. To get, we have this, our faith is not just something that comes in us, it has to get out of us. And that getting out of us actually builds What's in us? <laughs> um, so, uh, yes, sir. I want to share a metaphor with you that I think will help, and it kind of goes back to Daniel's book also. I was a pilot, and I flew a lot of airplanes. <clears throat> airplanes don't want to cooperate. <laughs> they want to drift off heading. They want to lose altitude. They, you're constantly trimming the airplane and, and making sure it's going in the right direction. If you're one degree off heading at 500 knots and 60 miles, you're one mile removed from the course. So the pilot's job is to keep the airplane in balance and headed in the right direction. And so the metaphor is our walk as a Christian, it's a constant correction to the optimum. And so when Daniel shared that, hey, I'm a sold-out, 100% Christian, and yet I'm kind of, you know, a little bit here, the airplane's getting out of trim, and it's time to recognize that this thing's getting out of trim, and all I need to do is just make a couple of adjustments, and it'll be back in the equilibrium again. So I use that metaphor for myself, because that's what the Christian walk is about, because we're in the world, and the world's going to keep distracting us, and Satan wants us, and those distractions that come, it's not until you make the commitment that you are able to see the distractions and say, aha, it's time to get back on course, and how did I drift over here? How did I get here? It doesn't matter. That what matters is getting back on course. And that's what confession is for, because he knew it had been sin. He knew it had been always continuing to sin, even if we are solely focused on him. You know, I'm gonna drop a, a bomb here and there. You know what I mean? Close us. 
Dear God, <laughs> thank you so much for this time this evening, Lord. We just love your presence. We love being able to share your word with all our brothers, and we love this safe space. We love, we love you, God. We just ask that you walk with us, that we walk with you this week, that you continue to shower your love and mercy, grace on us, that you continue to fill us with your word, that you continue to give us courage to reach out and speak your word, Lord, to serve you and to serve others in your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Amen.